There was a custom in the land, the ancient land that I talk about in Israel. And that custom was not to water the sheep until everybody came around and they removed the cover. Now, that's interesting because that custom is broken. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering some interesting things about the land surrounding Israel. So stay there. We're going to talk about it in about three minutes. Corey? We're seeing more struggle in our reading today, specifically over childbearing. There's some baby wars going on. We're going to dig into it today. Ryan? All right, well, today I'm continuing my study of Jacob and Esau, the twin brothers who were fighting each other even before they were born. Yeah, in fact, they, that's exactly right. Janice? Today, just called Water the Flock. All right, so we have a lot to study and a lot to look forward to and understanding. So let's open up the Bible and let's hear what God is saying to us. Genesis 29, 1-12 through 12. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well, and look! His daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel, that he was her father's relative, and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Genesis chapter 29, verses 1 through 12. Genesis 29, Genesis 30, and Genesis 31, as we continue to read through the Bible for the 33rd time. Boy, it's good, you know. Prayer for a spouse is always a good idea. Good idea, whether we have one or not. Here is what I mean. In the mid-1970s, do you remember the 1970s? Hopefully some of you will. When I was a young teenager, a very wise youth pastor suggested that I should begin to pray for my future wife. So I did. 
Even though I did not know her, I prayed that God would give her patience to know grace and to be able to put up with me. <laughs> what I did not know is during those next few years of praying for my wife, that I would actually see her on three occasions in different cities at different times before I would formally meet her. It wasn't until I moved to Canada that I would begin to date her. When we are seeking a partner in marriage, we have some clear options. We can operate the way the world does, looking to those around us for answers to our deep longings for companionship. Or we can turn towards God and pray to ask him for fulfillment in our lives according to his plan. Are we asking the Lord to help us become who we need to be as spouses? Are we asking him to help our future spouse and to reveal to them his counsel and his grace? Now God answers every prayer, so let's get our own lives in order as we follow him. And on this program, we're going to learn something about spouses. God had them selected and called out and the people knew them who were looking for them. Very good. Take out your Bible guide, turn to today's passage. If you don't have one, why not? Call us or write to us, get a hold of a Bible guide, go to Bible Discovery TV. And when you go on it, you can click on the Bible guide page. It'll take you to a donate page. I mean, I need to say thank you for your donations. They keep us alive and keep us strong. So we really appreciate that. And also let me say that uh, if you uh, write to us, we'll get them to you as well. But it's best if you go online or call us and get it quickly. You know, very important. Jacob meets Rachel. Jacob meets Rachel. Father, I pray today that you would help us. Teach us your way and show us your paths. And, and we, we clearly see that the enemy involves himself in all of that. But still, you have a way of making things right as we go along. So help us, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said together, amen, or make it so. Now, with that in mind, we come to this passage. Now, this is fascinating. Jacob is looking for his wife, okay? He's running away from his brother Esau. He's in trouble with him. So Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the people of the east, and he looked and he saw a well in the field and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well, they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. Now, this is fascinating, beloved. Number one, there was a custom the men of the East developed for watering their sheep. There was a custom they developed. Beloved, there are customs in today's world for how we do things. We need to understand that. And we have places, we live in places and we're in spaces where there are customs for different reasons. Now, we need to be aware of that as Christians. Let's go on in the scripture and let's read more about this because this gets interesting now. Because Jacob, let me tell you something. He gets motivated and things change. Watch this. Genesis 29 verses 4 to 8. Here's what it says. And Jacob said to them, my brethren, 
where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. And then he said to them, do you know Laban, son of Nahor? And they said, we do know him. So he said to them, is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, look, it's still high day. It's not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, we can't until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well, from its mouth, then we will water the sheep. That was their custom. The men were committed to the customs they had made. They were committed to that custom. Beloved, we must be committed to Jesus Christ and his way, not to the ways of this world. We must be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he said to us, and he says a lot to us about living in this world, living with our governments. He tells us how to do that, tells us how to live with each other, because whether we like it or not, we're not simply individuals. Our decisions affect other people, too. So we need to learn how to make those decisions. Very important. Anyway, so we need to hear that and we need to make that real in our lives. We need to listen to the Lord. Now, let's go back to Genesis 20. Here's, here's what happened. It's a good one. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughters of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and Jacob rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flocks of Laban, his mother's brother. He said, that's it. I'm going to water these sheep. And then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. What a scene. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and she told her father. This is amazing. Jacob rolled the stone away from the well himself because he was inspired by Rachel. You see, beloved, the love of God and his word inspires us to serve him first, not the world. Do you know what that means to serve God first and not just do what the custom is? That, that's really interesting that we don't break customs for the sake of breaking customs. But when God says for us to do something, we just need to do what God says. We don't need, you know, eight years of education, seven years of finances and 30 years of we, forget about the years and all that stuff. If God says do something, do it. If the Lord says do it. Now, if the Lord doesn't say do it, don't do it. But if the Lord speaks to us, we need to do it. He was inspired and he moved that rock out of the way. I can imagine all the guys looking on saying this guy's crazy. What's he doing? But that's what happened. You see, beloved, we need to understand that when we serve God and make those decisions, God shifts and changes things in our patterns of life. And this was the beginning, because from this point on, Jacob would serve the Lord in a very unique way. And he, when he served Laban, he was rewarded. This is very interesting. Now the story gets fascinating. So let's pay attention because God is with us.
So I'm not sure if you've noticed, but as we've been reading through Genesis, we have come across quite a lot of conflict, not just conflict, you know, between uh, warring parties and nations and tribes, but internal conflict in family units. And today our assigned reading also talks about um, Jacob's wives, Leah and Rachel, and the baby wars they got themselves embroiled in. Uh, it's really interesting, but it can also be very jarring to us today. You know, we live in a completely different society today and we have technology now and just other things now to help us if we're having trouble with infertility that they just didn't have back in the day. So let's jump in and take a look at some of these childbearing and marriage customs. The lives of the fathers of Israel are recorded in the biblical book of Genesis, and they contain elements of living that seem foreign to our modern societies. For example, the use of Sarah's maidservant Hagar to produce a child in Sarah and Abraham's otherwise monogamous marriage. In a world without medical fertility treatments, this arrangement not only made practical sense, but ancient records have been found legislating the practice. At different times and places, there were varying laws, but all aimed to define the legal status of the surrogate and the resulting child. In Sarah and Abraham's case, we also see Hagar then make a power play, maybe for wife status, which Sarah swiftly rectified, likely by demoting her to slave status and treating her poorly, which, not surprisingly, also has parallels in ancient accounts. It's notable that though Sarah was barren for most of their married lives, during that time Abraham did not take a second wife. This could be due to a personal moral code, love, or it could have been the result of their marriage contract. Details varied from contract to contract. Some prohibited any other wives or concubines. Some gave stipulations on how many years to try for a child before a surrogate or secondary wife was sought, and others outlined where any inheritance should go. Before Ishmael's birth by proxy and Isaac's birth by Sarah, Abraham made reference to another ancient solution, adoption. Abraham lamented that his servant was his heir. This practice is also known and in certain places was legislated. Marriage and childbirth became a motivating factor in the troubled lives of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. The women both vying for cultural supremacy via how many children they and their maidservants could bear. While this was a mess, the Bible also records a complaint Rachel and Leah had against their father, that he had squandered their inheritance and so they felt he had basically sold them. A bride price for married daughters was normally given to the husband in trust in case of the husband's death or absence but apparently Laban refused to give or outline the bride price, treating his daughters more like common slaves and not caring for their futures. Now, I, I also do think that in and amongst this, you know, this whole terrible situation of, of Rachel and Leah vying for their husband's attention and, and, and worth in the household. They're really, really vying for that. They also seem to have been dropped by their father Laban. I mean, when Jacob wants to leave, they're like, yeah, let's leave. We, we're nothing to our father now. He's squandered our inheritance. So this, this dysfunctional family, uh, you know, their dysfunction, God seems to use as a way of getting Jacob to go back to the promised land uh, well and, and, and in, in time, which is interesting because God can even use our dysfunctions for our benefit. And I find tremendous hope in that. I hope you do too. <laughs> so there's dysfunction while Jacob came out of the land mm -hmm. because he ripped off his brother and he 
stole his blessing due to his mother、mm-hmm. encouraging him to do that.、Mm-hmm. And you'll remember that it said his mother said, "Well, put it on me."、Mm-hmm. And so he goes there, but now he's got to leave Laban,、mm-hmm. and there's dysfunction there. So you've got all this dysfunction all around. Yep. And yet God uses that.、Mm-hmm. He's still able、stunning. to move, and he's still able to work. That, thank you, Corey. That's very, very good, Brian. All right. Well, today I'm picking up on our study of the twins, Jacob and Esau. Now, as we discovered on yesterday's program, there are some misconceptions surrounding these two brothers. For instance, contrary to popular belief, the Bible portrays Esau negatively, but it portrays Jacob positively. Now, with this in mind, we examine Genesis chapter 27, in which Isaac is deceived into blessing Jacob and not Esau. Although Jacob has often been portrayed as the coward younger brother of Esau, who stole the birthright and blessing, this picture is not at all biblically accurate. For one thing, Jacob did not steal the birthright and the blessing, since these were already his by divine right. Indeed, in Genesis 25:23, before Jacob and Esau were yet born, God revealed to Rebekah that two nations are in your womb; two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The birthright, along with the blessing, also legally became Jacob's when Esau sold it to him for a bowl of soup. In those days, birthrights were in fact salable. Although many see Jacob as taking advantage of Esau here, this passage makes no such implication. Quite to the contrary, actually, the Bible here faults Esau as he despised his birthright. This was not about food. The house of Isaac was very wealthy, and all Esau had to do was take a few steps over to the next tent. The real problem was that Esau had no spiritual sensitivity to the things of God. He had no desire to be the means of God's program, and so the birthright and blessing came to Jacob. Thus, the biblical account differs from the way Jacob is often portrayed, as stealing the patriarchal blessing from Esau. What was really happening in this passage? Was that Esau was trying to steal the patriarchal blessing from Jacob, an opportunity provided by his father Isaac, who preferred Esau over his brother, mainly because he was a hunter and enjoyed eating of his game. Literally, the Hebrew reads here: there was game in his mouth. Unfortunately, just as Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, Isaac was willing to misdirect the patriarchal blessing for one venison meal. When Rebekah discovers this plot, she conspires with Jacob. And together they deceive Isaac into blessing him instead. It was this deception that was the sin of Jacob, not the receiving of the birthright. Not only was this a lapse of faith on Rebekah and Jacob's part, but it was also completely unnecessary, as God surely would have intervened. Nevertheless, through this act, Jacob receives the blessing, which was really a continuation of the Abrahamic covenant. Isaac unwittingly proclaims over his son Jacob, "May God give you of the dew of heaven." Of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Though Isaac meant this blessing for Esau, the people of Jacob would now be stronger than the people of Esau, and Esau's people will serve Jacob's people, just as God proclaimed in Genesis 25. Now you know some, after reading this passage, tend to feel badly for Esau and to be angry with Jacob. While it's true that Jacob and Rebekah should not have conspired against Isaac, consider this: 
Words of condemnation of Jacob in the text come only from the mouths of Esau and later Laban. Hardly good witnesses as to what constitutes honesty, don't you think? In addition, God himself never condemns Jacob. When God speaks to him, it's always a message of blessing and promise and never a rebuke, never a word of chastisement. Negative things about Jacob come only from his enemies, but God is always positive towards Jacob. That's important to remember that in spite of all of the negative things happening here, because there's a lot of negative things, dysfunctional things taking place. God never actually comes down on the dysfunction, but he just constantly uses the dysfunction, yeah. the dysfunction to promote what he's, his will, promote yeah, what he's exactly. doing. Exactly. And God, yeah. we see that throughout the Bible. Uh, Corey was talking about that the other day. Definitely. And we also see like God allows Jacob to feel the consequences of his poor decisions. We mm -hmm. see that play out in the family as well. Yeah, for sure. But the overarching yet yeah, narrative is that God is blessing. God is choosing. Mm -hmm. God has, you know, a, a plan of salvation, a plan of redemption that he's weaving and he's working yeah. despite our dysfunction. That's why we need to be redeemed because we have it. We have yeah. the dysfunction. And <laughs> I, that bring, brings us to something we didn't cover in the Bible guide and we won't on the program, but the wrestling of God with Jacob. That, mm. That's an amazing story. And, you know, uh, Jacob ends up limping around mm -hmm. the rest of his life. Very interesting. Anyway, Janice. Well, I called this Water the Flock and we have Jacob now. He is waiting to meet who will be his wife, Rachel. And he comes and he sees all the other shepherds with their flocks and they come to a well and everybody's just kind of sitting around and, and he's wanting them to, well, like, why don't you just water your sheep? And, and he, he, he seems like he's frustrated here. He's trying to get the local shepherds to do their job properly. He's frustrated with whether it's their laziness or their weakness in the shepherds, the unwillingness to remove the stone to water the flocks. It says here, then he said, this is Jacob talking to them. Look, it's still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But the shepherd said, we cannot until the flocks are gathered together and they've rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we will water the sheep. And it says now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep and he was inspired when he saw Rachel. And so he was just like, you know what? I'm going to remove that stone. And it says in uh, verse 10, Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. He took those sheep and he watered them. That was a big job and just even moving the stone. And it made me think about us. You know, we need to be inspired to water the flock. What do I mean by that, Janice? What am I talking about? Well, you know what? When we are saved, and we've given our hearts to the Lord Jesus, when we recognize what God has done through his son and that we can, we can gain our salvation and we can have our freedom, we need to be excited about that. We don't need to just lay around and wait for everybody else to, to give their testimony, to tell people about what God has done for them. We need to be the ones to roll that stone away, to show people what God has done for us. Not being obnoxious, of course, but being gentle and kind and, and truthful and honest about what God has done for us in our lives. We need to be the one to reveal what God has done and give our testimony and not just wait for other people or not just wait till Sunday. Our lives are a walking, living testimony. We are to be a reflection. We're to be lights in a dark world. That's what we're supposed to be. How are we doing at that? Are we doing that? 
Are we a reflection of, of Jesus in this world? Are we a reflection of his love and what he has come to do? I hope that we are. And you know what? The only way that we can be is not in what we think Jesus would do, but we actually need to read his word to find out what he has done and what he has told us to do. Because some of what we do like these shepherds that were sitting around because that's what they did. They just waited for everybody to help with the stone. That's what they did. Maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. And so we need to make sure that we are doing the right thing to do, not right for what we think, not what right for what our, our society thinks, but what God thinks. And that can be very different than the way we've been taught or the way that it's always been. So I would just challenge us today that we need to water the flock. We need to be inspired through God's work in our own lives, how he is changing us. And that's, a, a, we're a work in progress, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, in fact, we are. I think a lot of people uh, would say, uh, well, you know, the, the because I, I ask people in your taxes, are the tax systems legal? And, and they're like, well, yeah, no, no. Think about this. What does God say? He says, don't steal. What does the Lord say? Is it legal to do that? It doesn't matter whether it's legal because God's law, God's desire for us as we serve him is to follow him. And following Jesus Christ means that we do things in such a way that as we follow him, we serve others, we love our neighbor and all of that, that changes how we do things. And isn't it interesting? We don't come to the word of God looking for loopholes. No. What can I do or how can I well, change I know this? Or, you, right? But, but we shouldn't. But we shouldn't. And yeah. that's what we need to learn. When, when we learn together and we go through his word, there are all things that all of us can learn and we can grow together. What a great privilege. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. We continue in the spirit of prayer and we pray this way. We say, Lord Jesus Christ, I need to let your Holy Spirit change the desires in my life. I have desires that have been spawned on, not by your spirit, but Lord, your Holy Spirit brings desires in me that I need to lift up and take to you. So Father, I pray today that you would help me in Jesus name. And we all said together, every one of us, amen.